0: This is Hamilton today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML.
1: Hey, it's Hamilton today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. If Drake is listening, I will accept your Grammy if you choose not to finish the race that you entered. Here's Scott Thompson, cheeky boy.
0: He's a cheeky boy. You come back here. Say that in front of all of us. Good afternoon. It is 3.09. It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board. Ted Michaels and Diana Weeks in the newsroom. Diana, coming forward and picking the song for today. And what a blast it was to get us out of the gate with that. Diana, uh, explain to the class uh, the idea behind the song today.
2: Well, I heard Will play some Blink One Eighty Two earlier, and I was talking with Will, and I was like, you know what? I want to hear more of it. So there it is. Uh, as you know, love my '90s alternative, love my mm. early 2000s alternative. It's my jam. Um, it's like Ted with his, uh, you know, late late <laughs> '60s, '70s, uh, you know, music. We all have
0: our jam. We
2: all have our jam, and just uh, you know, my husband was a <laughs> was a punk in the '90s, and he had he went to the Warp tour and saw Blink One Eighty Two live, and he had those big spikes in his nice. hair. Yeah, the rancid t-shirts, all that. He was uh, very much looking different now. (laughs) When we met, he did not look like that. But you
0: know, or on the wedding day, I'm guessing. Uh, But you know, (laughs) here you are, you know, it's the punk. I know the the exact same uh, era you're talking about, but it's it's still a great boy and girl song.
2: It is. It's very cute if you listen to the lyrics. And there's Absolutely. even the lyrics, do you like my stupid hair, which is, <laughs> which is there fitting. There you go. <laughs>
0: wow. I wonder
2: if the hubby's listening right now. When,
3: when did your husband finally show you photos of what he looked like in the 90s, Diana?
2: <laughs> I found the album and I was like... Oh really? What the H? He had the, these pictures. But obviously like, that <laughs> that that made you like him
0: even more, though. I'm betting.
2: Yeah, he was in a band too, and all that. So it's funny. You know, he still plays the guitar, and it's it's good times.
0: There you go. All right. Thanks again. And Diana, along with Ted, will be joining us around the big round table coming up December eighth, nineteen eighty. Do you remember where you were? John Lennon lost his life. New York City anniversary of his death 41st anniversary of his death to talk more about this eric alper with his music and pop culture expert he's here now eric thanks for the time hope you're doing well
4: yeah everything's great thanks for having me on
0: 41 years ago, it's hard to believe it was that long. We remember, uh, I remember having this discussion maybe a few years after this time and, and, and remembering other deaths, significant deaths at that time. And does with time, does all of this pass, does this still have the significance that it did, you know, even 20, 25 years ago?
4: Yeah, I think so. Um, and it's bizarre to think that he he's been dead for longer than he has been alive because he died at age 40. But I think even 25 years ago, um, the Beatles were still at the top of their game, at least in terms of, of commercial success with the, um, with the number one album, which is their greatest hits album, which was the the number one album of the decade for the 2000s. I mean, fancy that, that a band that split up 30 years ago still continues to have, you know, 30 million selling album. Um, but, you know, they just had finished off their run of CDs. So all of those Beatles albums were on CD for the first time. And then they released yeah. the mono version and then the stereo version. But all those people who bought it, kind of remember when those guys were around at least paul mccartney in a vital role with wings or john lennon alive and now it just seems like it's just pure nostalgia that anything Mm. that even paul mccartney does is always a throwback or a comparison to his greatest days and and you know not to say he's put out great albums because even his latest album mccartney three is brilliant um but now I think we're seeing more in the rearview mirror about how good these guys were by the fact that, A, their songs still hold up brilliantly. But, yeah. um, but two, just new generation after new generation continues to rediscover them in the same breath as Nirvana or Led Zeppelin and probably even bigger than those two
5: bands.
0: Uh, That's an interesting point that it does transfer generations that way because many many of these memories memory uh, many of these uh, artists and such die with the generation that dies after them. Uh, But you know, and maybe this is just technology and the way we are. But I mean, man, my kids are exposed to all kinds of different music and love all kinds of different music, which wasn't the case necessarily of our generation.
4: Yeah, and it's also just due to, like, really great PR and marketing. Um, You know, as much as we all love to say that those songs hold up, the fact is, though, that, uh, you know, uh, Google searches for the Beatles have dropped 10% year upon year of the last Mm -hmm. seven years. So it means that people aren't really searching for them, but they're still getting out there thanks to, like, the Beatles music being on TikTok, and having an Instagram account. And people may sneer at like Led Zeppelin being on TikTok or Queen still making new videos for old songs. But you know, if, you've, if you're a record label or an artist and you forget how music is going to be consumed for the current generation, you've lost. And you always have to keep your eye on how music is actually being consumed in order to make sure, because you're right there's only a handful of bands from the 60s that have survived all this long in our memory. And, you know, the Who, the Stones, the Beatles, it's not like that we're talking about Herman's Hermits or the Americans. And there's a reason for that. It's just due to, like, craftiness and marketing and taking care of the side of the street. If the Beatles put out a three-hour documentary on Get Back and it was garbage and sloppy, um, we wouldn't be talking about them in the same Mm. breath as we have been in the last two months.
0: But there's a perfect example there of something that was found, something in the archives that, you know, was on old film and they've just uh, redigitized. And my goodness, the attention that that is getting is is unbelievable. Is it because it's a discovery of treasure that we thought we already knew? Or is it the fact that there's that younger generation that are now consuming this through all these various types of media, which, by the way, we all gasp when we hear how much somebody paid for such and such as catalog that that that's what yes. this is all about
4: that's exactly what this is all about you know when you hear about the eagles selling their catalog for 150 million dollars or bob dylan for 350 million dollars you can be guaranteed that our great great grandchildren are going to be listening to that music because it's going to be rammed down everybody's throats like classical music is because they all want to return for it but the get back documentary i think was interesting because it changed all of our perception about those four guys and the wives at the time with Yoko and Linda McCartney being miserable and sad and angry and bitter, looking at the end thankfully of their group. Now we kind of see that, well, they were just all kind of getting along better than what we thought they were still communicating. They were still, um, you know, merging ideas and values and, and little bits of songs. And it's the, the magic that we get to see for the first time about how these songs were being created, even though that they probably all knew in the back of the mind that thankfully the group was going to be ending. And I don't mean thankfully on my part. I mean, thankfully, like, I think everybody was just trying to get out of there Man. as much and, and as fast as possible. So I think it's that changing of the perception that, We all kind of dug and be like, well, everything we thought we knew was right. They actually happened to be a little bit wrong.
0: And, you know, think how much more of that, you know, is that the case? Uh, And again, it just proves how little information we all had from that era. And that little piece of information right now has literally changed the whole perception of the band thinking, yeah, they're all throwing chairs at each other at the last few days when clearly, (laughs) you know, that wasn't the case. Uh, when you come to something like uh, Double Fantasy and the last album and such, would it have sold as much had he not passed? And I know that's an unfair question because had he not passed, everything else would have sold and they probably would have reunited. Um, but w- was he at his best game then?
4: I think he would just at the game. You know, when you look back at, at what the critics were saying and what the reviews were were. Um, were being written about, it was okay. It didn't get phenomenal reviews. It it was a little bit of a a return to form. But back in 1980, most of the music critics didn't really enjoy the Yoko Ono written songs. They still thought Mm -hmm. that she broke up the Beatles. And although John Lennon is back from being a house husband for a number of years... They didn't really appreciate, I think, you know, her song specifically, but also, you know, the critics were OK with it. Um, it didn't it wasn't until after he died in January um, that the album hit number one. And that's because I've seen so many photographs of people literally buying six yeah. copies of the album or eight copies of the of the cassette tape and and i think that that's also what drove it up and that's what happens a lot you know you and i have talked a lot about it in the past of you know forget about the grammy award or a juno award bump sometimes death is the best thing to happen to an artist because all of their sales go through the roof including their greatest hits but most importantly the last record because it's really their last statement that they get to make on earth
0: Uh, Just got a short amount of time left here. We could go on this uh, all afternoon. But has our perception of Yoko Ono changed over the years? My wife's watching a great documentary now on Netflix on Imagine. He basically says, John Lennon, these are her words. Has our perception of her changed?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, and I think social media had a lot to do with it. I think her being on Twitter and also I think a lot of newer artists like Billie Eilish, um, along with some of these classic artists like the B52s and Kraftwerk and, um, and, and those kind of artists from the 80s still putting the spotlight on her work in the punk scene and in the rock scene, um, you know, certainly had a lot to do with it. And I think, uh, I, I, when people were saying that she broke up the group, either they weren't really reading things incorrectly, or that maybe they were just a little tiny bit racist. And I think that there's still that perception out there. Mm -hmm. But no, the Beatles broke themselves up.
0: Yeah, and and probably just in need of a rest. Uh, Eric Alper, as always, thanks so much for the conversation. Music and pop culture expert. Uh, 346, be well, Uh, Eric. Thanks so much for the time.
4: Thanks, man we'll talk
0: soon let's talk about christmas trees i went out early this morning and grabbed one because you never know right let's bring in shirley brennan executive director of the canadian christmas tree growers association and with us now shirley thanks for the time i hope you're doing well
5: i am um and merry christmas to you
0: and back at you how is biz this year for canadian christmas tree growers
5: well you know what we are experiencing um a, a surge in demand like we saw last year and the year before Um, so we are looking at uh, fewer trees um, and farms are selling out quicker and closing earlier
0: you know uh, and maybe it's just because it's it's December 8th but I went out this morning and it seems pretty good in our area that you know there seems to be a pretty good selection and, and not a real shortage at this time
5: and that's interesting because we're seeing that um, for specifically the Hamilton area, I know between 2011 and 2016, we lost only six um, Christmas tree farms, but we lost almost 400 acres of Christmas tree potential, and that equ- that's equivalent to 40,000 trees. So um, I'm glad to hear that it's not too bad in your area.
0: So is um, what I am noticing is there's less people uh, selling them. Like, for example, the corner nursery that maybe used to do it isn't doing it. It's more the bigger chains and such. It seems that there's perhaps not as many doing it as once did it.
5: Yes, and that's where we're seeing the shortage. And chances are they're not doing it because they couldn't get treats. So what happened was by July, a wholesaler who was the person that supplies the corner lots, they would have known how many trees they had to cut and or could cut and how many um, customers. So some customers may have not got the orders in in time right. and some customers uh maybe new customers that want to venture into it and have decided that um, they couldn't get trees either.
0: We remember hearing, because we've talked uh, the last few years, I guess it was about 12 years ago, 10 years ago, there was a bit of a recession, so there was a slower uh, planting year that year. So as a result, I guess the average trees 10 to 12 years old. We're now seeing that uh, sort of shortage right now. Will it be different next year as things get back to normal?
5: Well, we that did play play a role in it, but now what we're watching are the trends in the weather. So with the trends in the weather changing... Um, And seeing, like I mentioned, the Christmas tree farms that are closing down, Mm. that's impacting what the future is going forward. So we're hoping that we're planting more trees. We're hoping that we can encourage more people to come into Christmas tree farming. And in the next couple of years, we will balance this all out.
0: And it seems there certainly is a demand for the natural tree still.
5: There is a great demand. Um, in 2015, the Canadian industry was $53 million industry, and in 2020, it's a $100 million industry. So the demand is huge, and it's, it's a lot of new homeowners and younger families that are going out and starting their own traditions.
0: There you go. Uh, I'm one. Well, you know, it never really died with me. We've been doing it forever. Uh, Shirley Brennan, Executive Director (laughs) of the Canadian Christmas Tree Growers Association. Shirley, thanks so much for the time. Have a great Christmas. Good luck this year. Thank you. catch up on the news and information you've missed, this is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900CHML. We got a Christmas tree this morning in the house, a natural tree, and for some reason it's become a major distraction for everyone that walks through the door or the pet. For some reason, uh, no. Please don't introduce any crows into the mix here. That's all we need. We're getting die-bombed here. All right. Uh, the top hour tune was picked by Diana Weeks to uh, for today. A fan of Blink One Eighty Two takes her harks her back to the days with her and her hubby. And well, I don't want to get uh, put words in her mouth, but anyway, uh, and and you know, into the band and the freakiness of it all. And then before I knew it, I was getting pictures of her hubby sent to me. So, uh, Diane, you have to come on now and talk about uh, <laughs> the hair. Uh, you, you said he had—he's the one with the blonde spiky hair That's in the right. photo. That's right. So, when anytime anyone any, anytime someone sends you an image and it says he's the one with the blonde spiky hair in the photo, you know exactly who it is.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I I I didn't know him in high school. I didn't know him in the late years of you know early. So college. you never
0: saw him with the spiky hair. Oh
2: no, he looked much different when I met him. Uh, he he was all cleaned up and professional looking. But when I saw those pictures, I was all like, oh up. boy. <laughs> yeah. Now
0: has he ever recreated the spiky hair for you? I I feel a need to do this here.
2: No, he has not. <laughs>
0: not for a Halloween party or anything in the past. Come on,
2: uh, A concert. No, he has not. No. But uh, yeah, those were his his punk days you know and he was right into that so and that uh, picture i sent you is when he met uh, rancid which was a big <laughs> band that he listened to back rancid. in the day so.
0: so have any of the family members seen uh, the picture of the spiky hair did this come up at the wedding at all
2: oh yeah there was talk about it i mean his best man they used to be in a band together and they were punks together in the band and their band was called the Boxheads, and they played with 12 <laughs> i think it was Six-pack or 12-pack beer boxes on their heads with the eyes cut out.
0: Nice! I love it. I want to meet this
2: man. And it was a screaming band. And when we first started dating, I said, oh, you were in a band? Because I saw his guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to hear it? Sure. He played this (laughs) song. I was like, that's nice, honey. That's really nice. (laughs) So
0: So, what about the two of you and your musical taste now?
2: uh, He's... Still much more into music than I have ever been. I learned a lot of from of, about music from him. Uh, he, he I mean, his tastes. Like, I mean, he still loves rancid. He still loves the punk bands. But he listens to so much now. He listens to country. Yeah. He listens to rock. He listens to everything. So, I mean, the guy likes Taylor Swift now. So things have changed. <laughs> oh man! I want to hear the Boxheads cover
0: Taylor. Right? Now I don't want to <laughs> right? no, meet him anymore. That said, I've lost uh, interest. Yeah. I want to see a Boxheads uh, reunion. Is there any other chance of a big reunion? To are coming up
2: well it was funny him and his two other friends uh, who were in the band got together about four or five years ago and the other two guys have two kids and they're all dads now Sure. they yep. just jammed out in the kitchen and it was uh it was a good time it was a good time there
0: you go all right uh, we're looking for the re-release of the new boxheads <laughs> coming out it- It's going to be a reunion tour. All right. Things seem to be uh, calming down or staying relatively stable as more and more of us get vaccinated. My goodness, uh, well up over 90% for the first dose of those 12 plus in Ontario alone and second dose not far behind it. Boosters coming December 13th, I believe, for those uh, 50 plus and such. So we're making incredible gains here. Uh, And then all of a sudden, uh, another variant uh, rears its ugly head. Obviously, Omicron this time. Uh, Still a lot of information. Not known, but more and more slowly coming out to talk more and give us an update. Dr. Omar Khan with us, assistant professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology, University of Toronto. And with us now, doctor, as always, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing well. So the latest on what we know and what we don't know, and I know it's really early and we're all asking you and your peers in the profession to to try to decode this and look into your crystal ball and such, but we're hearing that although this is much more uh, transmissible than the Delta variant, it doesn't appear at this time to be as dangerous. Do you want to weigh in on that?
6: Yeah, it's still early days, but it so far it doesn't look to cause as severe disease as something like Delta. The problem is that it transmits really easily. Mm -hmm. So for people who are unvaccinated or partially vaccinated, they can still be somewhat reservoirs and they can contribute to viral replication and inadvertently viral evolution because mistakes happen during replication. And that's part of the issue. So trying to keep those infection numbers down regardless, so Hopefully it is less severe disease, but we still need to keep the numbers down. And uh, obviously,
0: we, we know the uh, the mission here is to get the rest of the world as vac- uh, vaccinated as quickly as we possibly can to stop these variants from from uh, from showing up. That being said, uh, with kids now five to eleven, the latest uh, cohort to be vaccinated, uh, obviously, it's going to take a little bit more time with the kids. There's a lot more questions being asked and such. But with this new variant and with new infections, is it largely in the younger demographics at this point?
6: right now the people who have the highest number of new infections are people in their 20s and 30s so that's kind of dominating and then followed by people you know under 12 who are just originally the unvaccinated group of people so you know there's take take that as you will but you know let's try to stay better practices while we you know try to get out of this globally
0: you know, it's uh, Doctor. You said the twenty to thirty-year-olds, which have been an issue during all of the waves of this pandemic. Is there anything more we can do uh, or should be doing to try to convince the twenty and thirty-year-olds to to complete the vaccination process?
6: Well, it's not necessarily that they're doing anything wrong. They, you know, folks just need to get out there and work and, and be out there, potentially more exposed. So, yeah, there's a lot of things happening there, but. While we are working towards getting out of this, you know, things like masks can really help and protect that group who is just more exposed just because they are out there more, maybe because of the way they work or where Mm -hmm. they work. These are all things that, you know, we have to look out for each other at this point.
0: Again, so it's not necessarily a hesitancy issue with that age group at all. It's just that they are in the situations where they are more exposed because they're, they're on the front line for various reasons. Um, yeah. Pfizer talking today about the new variant and the ability of that vaccine to, to combat this. They seem pretty confident that uh, their vaccine would be, would, be, would be fine with this new variant and even talked about a new version coming up in March, although they kind of downplayed whether that would be necessary.
6: Well, here's the challenge with that. We have an approved vaccine that's already gone through clinical trials. It's ready to go. It's much easier to ask for a third dose of something already approved Hmm. than it is to take an updated vaccine and pass that through the regulatory process. No one quite knows if they can be safely fast-tracked or if it has to go through the entire clinical trial process all over again. So. Just to make sure that they have the maximum number of options, you know, you have the boost with the original vaccine plus this opportunity to do an update. They're working on both. As
0: far as getting the kids 5 to 11 uh, vaccinated, we are seeing a bit more hesitancy. I guess that's understandable considering the age of kids and such. Um uh, how, prevalent in, how prevalent is it in 5 to 11-year-olds and how concerned should we be, uh, especially holidays coming up? We know there's mass testing going home with the kids over the holidays and such, but uh, is there cause for concern?
6: Or is it just simply
0: they're the only ones not vaccinated yet?
6: It's, it's likely the latter as well. But then we also have to remember that partially vaccinated people are still vulnerable. So, you know, kids have just gotten approved for this vaccine recently. So mm-hmm. they start in December. It's a month between doses. And then even after that second dose, you know, half a month to start developing that full-on immunity. So, you know, over the holidays, they were never going to have full protection. It would always be partial. And right. we're looking at February for full protection, assuming everybody gets vaccinated and finishes their course, you know. So it was always going to be a, a, you know, cautious holiday. And, and this is just a reminder that we should treat it as such.
0: Uh, let's let's uh, leave with that. Advice as we head into another holiday season. What do you want people to remember, Omar?
6: I think at this point, we, we know we have great, great tools and we have good knowledge. Try to stay well, you know, in a place that's well ventilated try to be vaccinated, and, you know, if people aren't, you know, consider definitely masking and keeping some distance, but those are great tools, and they they do work, so there's tons of options for you to, you know, salvage what you can.
0: Dr. Omar Khan with us, assistant professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology, University of Toronto. Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the time and all you're doing. Be well. Thanks. Take care. It's Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine on the board, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks, making their way out of the newsroom around the big round table. As we jaw on the issues of the day, you want to throw something on the table? Send us a note, Scott Thompson, at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Joining us, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks, and William Erskine around the big round table. Uh, good afternoon to all of you table heads. Good to have you here.
7: William Erskine, huh? We're
3: formal. Oh, yeah. There
0: you go. I- I'm using table heads because I got the idea from the Box Heads, which is the name <laughs> of uh, Diana's husband's band. That's band. And, former and band. Ch- apparently oh, going to tour in North America oh, once the COVID's God. over. Former
5: band.
7: Okay. The
0: Box head- Really? <laughs> oh, yes. The Box Heads. I love that. All oh. right. Wait, wait till you hear uh, what that's all about, Ted, but that's later. <laughs> all right. We're going to start with a poll question of the day. Gray Cup fever. Do you have it? 66% in the city right now saying yes. I know my son does, so I I guess we all do. Uh, do you have the fever? Can you feel the, the excitement building, Teddy? No,
7: not at all. <laughs> Come no, on. No, 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 no. You see, I'm actually glad you asked. Let me bring up a point here. Let me bring up a point. The only people that are excited about the Grey Cup are the people in Hamilton because the Tiger Cats are playing. I would suggest to you, Scott, that if the Tiger Cats weren't in the Grey Cup, people wouldn't care that much about it. Because this is a COVID Grey Cup. There's not a lot of marketing. They can't spend money on it. I understand. You drive around the city. How much signage have you seen? Mm. Virtually nothing. Nothing. So but again, that doesn't mean we don't need no, signage for no, the no, fever No, 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 Scott. There are no parties downtown. Okay, there's a couple here and there. Normally by Wednesday, things are getting cranked up in Grey Cup, and I've covered ten of them. Just yeah. in case people think I'm full of crap, I've covered them. <laughs> I, I have been in Saskatchew- Saskatchewan. Is Saskatchewan, the best? Saskatchewan, Edmonton, Montreal. I've I've been to those. You know, what was the best one to me? Montreal all one really rock because that's probably Montreal but anyway right. so 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 my point is I'm I'm curious about the game itself what's going to happen but, but all the, the other, lack
0: of festivities
7: and you know the festivities maybe by the weekend but right now you drive downtown there ain't a lot going on and again I understand that they can't spend the money because of COVID yeah. and all this stuff but it's a totally different vibe this year I'm sorry
0: No, that makes total sense. I mean, you know, it's not 2023, that's for sure. Diana, what are your thoughts on all this? You got the fever?
2: Yeah, I personally do because I'm going to the game on Sunday, but I get what Ted's saying. I really have nothing to compare it to in terms of past Grey Cups. Um, But, you know, there are a couple signs, but I do agree. I agree with Ted there that it doesn't really feel too feverish. Mind you, you know, the event yesterday looked good with the Cup arriving at uh, Bayfront Park. You know, Ken Mann went, my husband went. They said it was great. Uh, It was fun. So I think the fever will really be on the weekend. Like I think maybe Saturday night leading into Sunday, so hopefully it'll it'll amp up.
0: I would agree with that. That is, uh, you get closer to game, uh, game time, you're actually going to see that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, there certainly isn't the normal festivities that there are when you host a Grey Cup and which is why we're getting another one in 2023. Will, what are your thoughts? You got the fever?
3: Um, Still got apparently a day to wait for the nasal swab test to come back, but I suspect <laughs> that I have. Is there a this... test for Grey Cup is fever? There... <laughs> I, I I, think it's how loud you're screaming and if you're losing your voice over time. Um, I am, or, or barking, I guess. I
0: <laughs> what a zoo we got here.
3: Yes. Okay. Well, the dog and I. I would say yes. We have gray cup fever. I'm personally excited for it. I think Ted's made some very uh, interesting points about the uh, uh, the symptoms as it uh, appears across the city. But uh, I, I got it. I think in this in this case, let's be sentimental. Uh, the fever's in our heart. I don't know. That just Man, sounds terrible. It. It's that's the wrong good. year for. We gotta oh, find I another like synonym that. for it.
0: All right, so today, this morning, I went out and I got a real Christmas tree at our house, uh, and it's just our marriage of 21 years. We've had a real uh, honest to goodness traditional christmas tree and then a fake martha stewart tree which is my wife's creation every year (laughs) uh and it's just the only way our marriage survives through the whole thing uh so the 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 fake tree the the fake tree has been up for a while the dog's not chewed the lights off it that's good uh the real one came today i didn't find any shortage i went to the normal place i went now i think there's less people selling them you don't get as many on the corner lots right but you know it it seemed to be and last year the price went up a bit it didn't seem to be any more this year so your thoughts on the christmas tree do you Got it up, the real versus the fake. Your thoughts on the whole thing,
7: Teddy? Always go, uh, always go fake. Uh, we actually had to get a new one always this year. Go fake. No, no, always. I'll tell you. We we bought a tree several years ago, and we, we tried to put that uh, the the artificial tree up on the weekend. Yeah. And of course, you've got part A that goes into part B. Now yeah. it's all tangled up with the lights. We're sitting there, my wife and I. We've learned, you know, I we start imagine. getting testy with each other. It's time. So I'm sweating. I'm trying to get the <laughs> the hell with this. So I went and bought a new one, plugged it in. Beautiful. It's perfect.
0: And the old one, what? Went out the front door? The on the front one, lawn? Actually, on the front lawn
7: in the street now? Actually, now that you mention it, because I put it outside before the garbage, because sometimes people come by and pick sure. up stuff. Yeah. N- now that you mention it, it's gone.
0: There I didn't you go. did notice it. All right. Okay, I so... Can- Yep. I can imagine the screaming coming from uh, Ted's house And then all of a sudden there's a bang And out from the front door comes the tree Half the <laughs> ornaments probably still on it yeah. uh, Diana, real fake uh, Have you got it yet or are you there?
2: Yeah, we just got our tree last week We always have gotten a real one yeah. uh, Nothing crazy, just maybe like a three footer or a four foot This year it's a little sparse that I'm, I'm noticing So we kind of turned it around And just kind of put more of the ornaments on the back uh, Not works. as full as the trees we've had in the past But we do really, really like the real trees
0: it's amazing how much it smells The ha- oh, sneaks the house up so i mean i can good. smell it already yeah.
3: all right will your thoughts love the real tree even if uh you know depending on the living situation you can always get a little tiny one or something and just sure. store that away if in your closet if you want to go sniff a real tree but i am real tree all the way whatever the case and uh i got mine yep <laughs> All right, so
0: uh, as we said earlier, uh, Diana picked the song way back to her past, and, and next thing you know, we're getting pictures of her husband, and we're looking at the family photos and such. And uh, the hubby was in a punk band, had the spiked blonde hair. So my uh, question to the round table is, your weirdest, wildest hairdo days, what was the most flamboyant or your version of the spiked hair? uh ted what would that have been for you
7: no i don't have spike hair because of course i try to have the perfect hair but i do know the one i look at you pictures, have
0: uh, eugene levy hair no actually. but
7: what i do know is when i look at pictures of me at mohawk and when i first started in this industry i had the hair kind of you know like combed down in front oh yeah good god i looked horrible but the bangs anyway, oh you had bangs. Yeah, that's the term the bangs and the kind of <laughs> curly and everything else now of course i got the perfect hair and you know everything's good <laughs> Uh, as as one former Tiger Cat said to me one day, man, even when you run, your hair doesn't move. So you know, oh, that must you be know nice.
0: what? That is right. <laughs> that be- Perfect hair right.
7: forever. Tell you that's
0: it. That's it. And then you add the mustache. That's a whole other discussion. Uh-huh. Uh, Diana, the wildest, the wackiest hairdo. Hi
2: always been pretty tame with my hair. I never really did anything crazy with it. I alternated a couple colors through high school. I did the red hair. I did the blonde streaks. I kind of did like a reddish purpley color, but it was more like a nice, like it definitely wasn't, you know, anything too crazy. I don't think I've ever had any crazy haircuts, really.
3: Will, uh, <laughs> as many of you can attest you to, you've probably got a photo album.
2: I've got, yeah,
3: I've had the hair I've had <laughs> even just over the pandemic, the, the young Joseph Gordon-Levitt down to my shoulders, but I've had it down even further than that in the past. However, the craziest hair, or like at least the one that I would uh, hesitate to show pictures of, is when I first started growing my hair out when I was about 14, and for a good solid couple months there, I had a mullet. I had an actual full, a thick one. It was a mullet.
0: I remember it was a, when I was a kid, I had like a shag. Do you remember those? Uh, the weirdest really, yeah. for me, uh, I had my head shaved for a fundraiser thing of some sort, and then when it grew back, it's kind of the same way now. Uh, I then uh, dyed it blonde, and I walked into my <laughs> wife and I's apartment, and both my wife and the cat had the same reaction, and it was not positive.
7: <laughs> so that was pretty much it Scott, for me. Scott, do I have to tell you again two four words, happy wife, happy life. Do there not set the apple. So much heart. truth in that. Listen That's to what Eileen to live by, says. I'm right. telling you, you you it, know, you'll your 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 anxiety level will come down. Just do what she says.
3: Brought to you by Ted parts. and his fake tree. Okay. Yeah, and he also oh. knows.
0: And he also knows my wife. So we'll See, leave it that. I'm All right you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, Becky Buck has been elected as the new vice chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. Earlier this year, she was one of four trustees uh, indirectly referenced in a third-party investigation into racism at the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. The investigation by a Toronto law firm uh, based on a balance of probabilities found four trustees contributed to anti-black racism towards 2019 uh, Twenty. 20 student trustee Ahona matey uh, Buck was also one of the three who were accused of a conflict of interest when they voted not to sanction themselves following that investigation to talk more about this Ahona May is with us former Hamilton wentworth District School Board trustee student trustee and is with us now Ahona thanks for the time I hope you're well
1: yes thank you so much for having me
0: so take us back to 2019 2020 what your experience was like as a student trustee on the board?
1: Yeah, well, I've said this um, time and time again, like, I think the best word I could use for my experience is it was really patronizing. I felt like as a student trustee, um, because I am a young brown woman, oftentimes I was tokenized. But on top of that, I had to witness a lot of overt and covert racism at the board table. Um, And since we're talking about Becky Buck, A lot of that came directly from Becky Buck. Um, And so that's why I took to Twitter to expose everything that was going on in the board. And that's why there has been a months-long impeachment campaign for four trustees who displayed overt racism during my term as a student trustee. And those trustees are Alex Johnstone, Carol Miller, Kathy Archer, and, of course, Becky Buck, who is now our vice chair.
0: What was your reaction when you uh, heard of that, that she was the new vice chair?
1: Um, I think, to be honest, it was very disheartening. It was also disturbing to see, um, but definitely not surprising. I think time and time again, we've seen the school board protect racists, and we've seen the school board even promote racists. Um, and they also allow these people to, you know, protect themselves in a sense. Um, I think, you know, Becky Buck, Through the third-party investigation, she was found to have made anti-Indigenous comments when she, like, said that having uh, an Indigenous student trustee would be unfair to other groups of students and unequitable. Um, She was found to have made, like, covertly anti-Black comments and comments, you know, along the lines of All Lives Matter. And even then, trustees voted to protect her by redacting the report trustees voted to protect her by not sanctioning her and this was the outcome months have passed and these things have kind of you know they've flown under the radar and now she's our vice chair and you know that proves that racism within the school board it does not only go unchecked but it allows racists to be promoted um so I think yeah absolutely it was disheartening for myself but also for a lot of people in the Hamilton community and, you know, the greater Ontario community, actually.
0: You said of your experience you felt uh, tokenized. Give us an example. What do you mean?
1: Um, I think, you know, I would often go to meetings and such, and, you know, people would be making comments about, you know, my race, and they'd be like, you know, it's nice to see diversity here um, and always bring up the topic of diversity when I was around, even though, you know, I think what should have been focused on was the fact that I was competent in my role and that, you know, I was successful in my role. Um, You know, a lot of the times, like, trustees would act like I was, you know, close with them or I had a good relationship with them, when in reality, I had experienced racism from them, when in reality, you know, I was in a really difficult position because of them and because of the overt racism that they were perpetrating
0: obviously you use social media you've talked about this you've brought this forward i mean you know it's come to what it is now um did you feel you made any uh, impact at all by coming forward and doing what you did and saying what you said uh considering what has happened how, how do you feel about that now
1: yeah i definitely think it's really difficult it's hard to see you know um, you know, the positive impacts of everything that has gone down in the last like year or so. Um, I think there has been impact. I think the biggest thing is that there is, you know, a lot more publicity around what it means to be a trustee um, and like who these trustees actually are, which I'm grateful for because I think people should be aware of these elected officials, what they do and how much power they have over students. Um, I think what's also difficult, though, is, you know, I brought these issues forward because, we want to see these trustees removed and we wanna see a system where racists cannot remain in power. Um, but at the end of the day, like the school board will always choose to protect these people and promote them. And so I think the solution now, which I, I'm really optimistic about, is voting these trustees out in the next election in 2022, because we cannot expect these people to hold themselves accountable. We have to hold them account- accountable by getting them out of office And, you know, even right now, we're looking at Christine Bingham for wards one and two. She stepped down um, as trustee and there's a vacancy right now. And board members are deciding between appointment or holding a Mm. by-election. But how can we trust, you know, these people to, you know, appoint someone when they're clearly racist? They voted in Becky Buck as vice chair. So we cannot trust these people. We cannot trust these trustees to, you know, appoint the right person. So I think that's why we need to have a by-election. And again, it all, it all comes back to that. We need better leadership. We need young people to be, step up and be leaders within this board. And we need to get these people out of office.
0: You know, you bring up an interesting point here, Ahona, and that is that you're right. People don't pay a a lot of attention to these um, uh, 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 trustee-type elections, and this very much is a starting ground for those that want to enter politics, and we really should be paying more attention to those that are uh, assuming those positions. Ahona Mady is with us, former Hamilton-Wetworth District School Board student trustee. Ahona, thanks so much for the time and insight. Good luck.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So have you watched the TikTok? Do you get the TikTok, the kids and the TikTok and whatever? Anyway, um, so my, my kids are sending me TikTok stuff now. And usually it involves angry dad stuff because, you know, I, you do this. And then, you know, it's some dad yelling at a kid for something and, you know, to pick up the dog. Why am I going there? <laughs> dog crap or whatever. So anyway, they send these things. So, uh, well, the news is playing. Ding. My phone goes off. Oh, it's a little TikTok, a few second thing. So I decide I hit it and it, it's, it's a, uh, a dog on the, at the bow of a boat. It's like a fishing boat. So it's got like a flat surface. So there's not much holding the dog in there. He's right on the top of the deck and this boat is whaling across the water, across the lake. And you think, like, oh, my goodness, this dog looks like it is going so fast it's actually going to fall off the deck and into the lake. And then all of a sudden the dog cranks up its rear end and starts having a dump. And all of a sudden the little things hit the deck and then go flying into the water as fast as they're coming out of the dog. And why is this entertainment? And why are we... Why are we laughing at this, and why is this entertainment? Is this what the youth of today has become? This reminds me of the early days of the Internet when everybody was showing cat videos. Like, what is the difference here? What are we missing here? Other than, you know, and, and the stuff Bob with the dads. Zagat talking over it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And, and you know, like a lot of the stuff that, you know, with the dad stuff, I think it's fake. It's staged. I said to him, we could do this, you know. I, we could start a series here. Can you make any money out of this? Uh, but then you get the dog on the bow of the boat, and that's one of those special moments that, you know, only luck can you, uh, help you catch your, or capture. Uh, but, yeah, it's, you know, people used to think this show was entertaining at one time. Now it's a dog on the bow of a boat letting her go. All right, um... Yeah, I know. Uh, so in case you haven't heard, it, uh, Canada is having a diplomatic boycott, <laughs> staging a diplomatic boycott uh, with China for the Beijing Olympics. They're finally doing this after everybody else in the free world is, which is pretty much what we do. We kind of sit on the fence and try to hug everybody, uh, and when that doesn't work, we just, we just wait for everybody else to act. So here is Aaron O'Toole in the house today talking about the Beijing Olympics and the diplomats not going and why the PM has waited so long. Mr. Speaker, the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia and New Zealand all announced that Huawei would have no place in their 5G infrastructure years ago. Our Prime Minister has still not made a decision. The Five Eyes all came out with a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics and the Prime Minister was the last one to sign on. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau then stood up and said the Liberals are standing up for Canadians. We
7: have done that. We will continue to do that as we uh, express uh, deep concerns uh, about the situation around human rights in China, as we continue uh, to ensure protection for our security while uh, we look at competitiveness for our domestic markets. These are things that we take seriously
0: that we will always do the right way for Canadians. (laughs) Did you ever notice that when Emery gets really pinned? He really gets kind of anxious and, and and uptight and 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 going off the script is not really what he feels comfortable doing. And you know, this has been uh, my my ongoing uh, rant about this prime minister. And again, this has nothing to do with politics. I've given up the right. I've given up the left. I'm in the center, and anybody that wants to join me there, I will vote for. Uh, but I think the wackos on the left or the right are, uh, are are just driving too much of the agenda while, the majority of us are in the middle wondering what the heck is going on. And, you know, whether you like the liberals or you don't like the liberals... Um, you know Pierre Elliott Trudeau was an academic he was a smart guy I don't think this guy knows what he's doing I really don't politics aside left or right I, I just I've always thought that he's a lightweight and when it comes to things like truth and reconciliation he says one thing and then does another uh, the black face uh, this that y- y- again the whole 5G thing is a joke because the major companies have already moved on because they don't want to invest in something that's going to get the plug pulled on it so it seems he waits for other people to make the decision. He may waits for other people to, uh, uh, to make the call for him. And then he falls in line and says that it's the best thing that we should be doing. And I think that's what we really have in a leader right now is someone that just, is a figurehead and, and doesn't really have a strong opinion on any of this. And 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 the whole thing is about a, a sunny way, smile and a hug. And I think that's fabulous. And I think that's great for our, uh, the, the public relations of our country. But unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of people in the world who just don't feel the same way as the prime minister does and a hug won't cure it it won't solve the problem and sooner or later you got to stand up even if you're just little itty bitty old canada Uh, all right our athletes have been training for years and are looking forward to compete at the highest level against athletes from around the world and they will continue to have all of our fullest support uh, as they show the extraordinary success that canada has at winter olympic games There's another example. What the heck did he just say? He just said nothing. He just blah, 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 and says whatever he can say to get him out of the predicament that he is in. It's as if all the problems of the world can be solved with a Sunnyways Way's hug. You know, we can hug the communism out of the Chinese Communist Party here. And while the rest of the world makes calls on 5G or makes calls on Olympics, we seem to always be the last one to the table. And again, oh, we're just a puny country. Well, so is Australia. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, I'm astounded at the love affair that the Prime Minister has with the Chinese Communist Party and why he is so reluctant to stand up to them and whatever their actions will be moving forward as if we are the only country in the world that ever gets bullied by the chinese communist party let's bring in henry Jasek, professor of political science mcmaster university henry thank you for the time hope you're doing well i'm doing well thank you scott why are we always the last of these discussions why does he always try to play both sides of the street here
8: well it's just a cautious strategy he's got to uh He doesn't, you know, he knows. Is it a cautious
0: strategy, though, Henry? Sorry to interrupt, but is it honestly, because we've heard this a million times, is it honestly a cautious strategy, or is it that they have so much invested in and with the Chinese Communist Party that they don't want to upset the apple cart?
8: Well, I mean, they're worried about economic relations, and they're also worried about, you know, the Chinese have shown in the past they'll just pick up Canadians and throw them into jail. And then we're then he's stuck with a bigger problem trying to get these people out of uh, jail on, on trumped up charges. So, you know, there is a fear that, you know, that we, you know, that by being in the lead on this, that he'll, uh, you know, he'll 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 become a, vi- you know, he'll become a victim. The government will become a victim and they'll have to they will have a situation that they'll find very difficult to deal with or, you know, in terms of freeing up uh people you know Canadian citizens in China
0: I don't think anybody expects them to take the lead Henry but at least don't be the last one to the game which seems to be the case here and it's the same thing with 5G I mean the two Michaels Mm. are back have we not learned anything here
8: yeah well but I mean they they, they may grab somebody else I mean I'm I'm concerned I mean I think he's concerned and I guess I'm keeping my fingers crossed they don't grab any Canadian during the Olympic Games and just yeah. uh, trumped up charge saying you were doing something you shouldn't do you know to undermine our great country and we're going to throw you into jail and then then he's stuck in a sense with a bigger problem once again somebody thrown into jail and he's going to spend a lot of have to spend a lot of time trying to explain to Canadians how he can't get him out of jail so it's a it's a, you know it's a difficult situation i guess you know you know some of the some very big countries in the world aren't doing very much you know to uh, confront the chinese you know many of the ones in big countries in europe aren't aren't doing this uh, and i would argue that they're probably more more cowardly than cowardly than we are uh we, essentially what we are is what what you know what's going on now is it's the english language countries that are really you know, confronting China. I mean, led by the United States, the U.K. right in there, Australia, you know, and then finally we get into there. But uh, it's, uh, we could use uh, some other help from the European countries, too, as well.
0: Um, is, you know, there was only one diplomat, I think, sent to the last Olympics. Is this even an issue? Uh, does anybody care that the diplomats aren't there? other than perhaps the ones that are going or were to go, uh, what kind of impact does this have with uh, China and Chinese officials?
8: Well, I mean, this, in particular, this exact, you know, particular thing, of course, is not going to be a really big worry for China. But what it does signal, I think, is the Chinese have to get, get worried that, you know, Canada, the U.K., Australia uh, might get together and do economic sanctions. And the Chinese economy is not that good and it has to worry about uh you know economic sanctions that would slow down the chinese economy even more they do have a problem with a slowing economy and they so they have to worry you know are they they don't really want to get into an economic tussle with you know with uh, with all you know with north america with australia and the uk because they you know that if they uh, if we stop uh, you know putting putting investment and building factories and buying the goods from those factories in china that's going to be a problem for the for the chinese so it's really there's a signaling of a of a of a you know of a problem for the chinese if they you know if they do try to uh you know hassle you know these people from these countries even more and you know they may try it for a while because the uh... you know it takes the chinese uh... ordinary chinese citizens Takes their mind off of their economic troubles, so it's uh, you know it is a bit of a worrisome situation. But I think you know probably a good strong economic boycott for the while of uh, for a while of some of the Chinese industries and the ability to sell stuff over here in the United in, uh, you know outside the country is would really really be a good uh, you know threat. Uh, to to them, and then then they'll maybe learn learn will learn you know that they shouldn't pick on us. I don't are know we just, how it's going to go though.
0: Are we? It's just assuming Henry that these athletes will be safer than the two Michaels were.
8: Yeah, well, we hope so. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed. But you know, mm. many of the athletes are being very careful. Even they know they're being watched even before they come into Canada. I mean, into China. So some of them are. I mean, many of them are worried that you know. Things they might have put on uh, social media that's critical of China is found out, you know, well before they get there. That they, they may then be targets by the Chinese government, may just come in and snatch them. I mean, this is this is a this is a big wor- this is a worry, and I think many uh, athletes have already, uh, and, and and Olympic officials as well, I think have already sens- self censored themselves uh, and are bending to what the Chinese uh, threats are out there.
0: Henry Jacek with us, professor of political science, McMaster University, Canada, joining the U.S. and the U.K. and Australia in a diplomatic boycott of the 2022 Beijing Olympics. Henry, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well.
8: Okay, thank you, Scott. The truth and
0: only the truth. This is Hamilton
7: Today with Scott Thompson on
8: 900-CHML. Here we go again in
0: the Canadian military. Vice Admiral Hayden Edmonston has been charged following a military police investigation into a sexual assault allegation against him. Military police laid one count of sexual assault and one count of indecent acts against uh, Edmonston on Tuesday. The case will be handled through the civilian court system. What is very uh, bizarre with this situation is this was somebody who is uh, high up in personnel the rest of us would call HR and was designed to actually be helping the rank and file. Amanda Connolly is with us, National Online Journalist, Global News. Uh, Amanda, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure. Uh, you know what, the first, uh, as soon as I saw this, Amanda, I'm thinking, here we go again, another domino to topple, uh, you know, and I certainly don't mean to make light of a an incredibly sensitive and, and uh, horrific scenario we're seeing unfold here in the Canadian military, but honestly, you need a program to keep up here. Uh, give us an update on, on the latest.
9: Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is certainly, again, as you mentioned, they're the latest in a series series of charges laid against senior military leaders here. The latest, of course, in this case is Vice Admiral Hayden Edmondson has been charged following a military police investigation into a sexual assault allegation against him. This charge came down yesterday, on Tuesday, and military police said that they are going to be handing the case over from this point forward to proceed through the civilian court. So we're looking here at one count of sexual assault and one count of indecent acts. Uh, Edmondson's lawyer did say that his client uh, is is denying all allegations of um, improper uh, criminal conduct here, and so we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out in court.
0: And obviously different this time uh, uh, from the past in the sense that this is going through the civilian court system. Explain why and how.
9: Yeah, this really is a significant move, and again, it it certainly would be expected at this point in time that if you have a senior leader who is being charged, that case will be referred. That's been the case for two other senior leaders who also faced criminal charges over the last couple of months here. Major General Denis Fortin, who was the former head of this country's COVID-19 vaccine rollout, uh, was charged with sexual assault in August. That case is moving through the civilian court system in Quebec. And also General Jonathan Vance, the former chief of the defense staff. He was charged with obstruction of justice in July, um, and that case is also now moving through the civilian court system. And so all of this comes, again, amid um, very serious allegations, longstanding allegations that have been documented for a long time but really are escalating over the past 10 months here of effectively conflict of interest, of the military being unable to handle cases and, and proceedings against senior leaders um, within its ranks going forward. And so um, all of this happening at a time when there was a lot of, a lot of change, a lot of um, criticism of the military's handling of sexual misconduct and the real crisis that has been emerging so far.
0: So what is next in this case?
9: So this case we're really looking for more information um obviously when when this will head to court um when when those proceedings will kind of formally get underway there. What we do know and what we're watching for right now, though, of course, are, are a couple of um, significant things. First of all, there's the apology that is expected next week from Defence Minister Anita Onand, as well as the Chief of the Defence Staff, General Wayne Ayer. That will be to uh, survivors and victims of military sexual misconduct. This, again, has been something that, that um, advocates for victims and survivors have really been calling for, and so there, there's certainly, I think, going to be high expectations for how that will be delivered. It's also, of course, coming. As we've been seeing, former Supreme Court of of Canada Justice Louise Arbour leading a review into the the problem of military sexual misconduct, the crisis really, um, to put it bluntly here. And so this, of course, she had issued a recommendation in October that um, all cases be handed over to civilian authorities when they're dealing with um, offenses of a sexual nature. And so uh, we did hear from Anita Anand that she will be implementing that recommendation last month So, again, looking ahead here really for more indications on how that will be moving forward. And that was certainly um, referenced as as part of this decision or kind of the context around part of this decision by the military.
0: Uh, Obviously, new defense minister, as you mentioned, um, more focus on these issues. Is this a direct result of that, do you think? And are we to expect more of this?
9: I think the awareness around the need to, you know, to, to acknowledge this is being uh, handed over to civilians is certainly part and parcel both of that decision and also more broadly of, of the um, the awareness, I think, within the military, uh, among military justice officials that uh, there is a perception that there is a conflict of interest, that they cannot be um trusted credibly carry these things out. Now, again, they will tell you that that's not the case, that they're very confident in their ability to do and handle these cases. But we have seen, again, from senior military justice leaders defending the investigators while also saying that they are going to uh, cooperate with this recommendation and, and really a, a direction from the minister to move those cases over to the civilian justice system, again, because of this crisis of public confidence in the military justice system at the moment.
0: Is there a new tone in the military as we see more of this, or is it far too early for that?
9: That's a difficult question to answer, honestly. I think that um, the answer that you get there will likely depend on on who you're speaking to. I do think that, again, there there is a lot of a lot of people are going to be watching the apology and the tone of the apology when that comes next week, really for an indication of what the acknowledgement here is is—is of the responsibility. And, and I think a lot of people who have, who have been working in this field would say the failures of the government to adequately address this over the past number of years now, of course. I mean, again, we're talking about this in the current context of the reporting first done by Global News back in February and, and, and since then. But again, this is... This is a problem that's been identified for um, for years now. There was, of course, a landmark report in 2015 that really showed the extent of this problem for the first time. And ever since then, uh, the government really did not act on those key, some of the key recommendations from that report. So certainly, um, again, high expectations. A lot of eyes I'm going to be watching that apology to see kind of what the tone here will be going forward. Uh, what does
0: it say, Amanda, that this person was part of uh, basically what we would know as an HR
9: department? That has been a, I think, significant point of concern around this case. And I do want to give um, credit here to to CDC, which first broke the allegations, the specific allegation against Edmondson back in March. But again, the, the the nature of the role there, the fact that um, the, the man who came in to replace him after he, he stepped aside, of course, following that allegation in March, was subsequently himself accused of sexual misconduct and then had to step aside from the role. So you've had mm-hmm. two really consecutive people in that role step aside because of allegations of sexual misconduct against them, really, when those were coming out, I think, um, emphasized a lot of the the concerns and, and the, the the demands, really, for change. It's supposed to be taken seriously among the top levels in the Canadian military. People are really saying, look, I mean, this, this is... Um, a, a significant problem, a widespread problem. We know as well, it's worth saying that it's not just a, a woman's problem. This is a problem that mm-hmm. um, we know 42% of the men, who, uh, sorry, the, the individuals, we know that 42% of the people who have submitted claims as part of the military cross-action lawsuit are actually men. And so this is a problem that we know is, is widespread, affects so many people through the Canadian military and really, I think, again, speaks to the the crisis, really, that experts have described this as for the Canadian forces.
0: Amanda Connolly with us, national online journalist, Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight for more on all of this. Amanda, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. (laughs) Bring in Scott Radley, host of The Scott Radley Show. He'll be on after the news at 6 o'clock. Scott, oh, and of course, uh, columnist near Hamilton Spectator. Scott, thanks for taking the time. Hope you're well. I am well. How are you? I'm doing very uh, very well, thanks so much. Poll question of the day. Grey Cup fever, do you have it? 66% saying yes. Do you have the Grey Cup fever?
10: Uh, it, it, right now, it would be a mild fever. See, I, I mean, when you're working, it's less feverish because you are just you don't have time yes. for fever. So yes. uh, covering this, it, it's slightly less feverish. But I, I am sure that before the week is out, a thermometer will be placed under my armpit, and I'll get a good, good t- test of that.
0: Do you have less fever because it is an abbreviated version, which was Ted Michael's point earlier on? And I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. It's COVID. We're, we're waiting for 2023 for the big barn burner. But is it
10: because of an abbreviated version? I expect that that there is some truth to that. And by the way, may I just say I was listening earlier to your roundtable. Mm. Uh, that was my request of the Boxeds uh, to come. I don't know if that was the Boxeds playing, <laughs> but I requested the Boxeds.
0: Yes, but, uh, Diana's husband. Now we all can't wait to meet him.
10: Well, and the other thing is, I got to correct you on something. You said that Ted has um, Eugene Levy here. You're halfway right. What Ted really has is Earl Camembert hair.
0: (laughs) That is even more accurate. Yes, let's go with that one, which, of course, was one of uh, Eugene's great characters.
10: And I think that on his last day working before retirement, every time you throw to Ted in the newsroom, you should get out of the newsroom, Earl Camembert. Just see, see how long before Ted loses it.
0: Well, you know, we were hoping to play some old clips of Ted and, you know, he's not coughing those up or none can be found or it was perhaps before we could record anything. I'm not sure. So maybe we'll play, you know, SCTV clips. That's the best way around (laughs) it. All right, so uh, I got my Christmas tree today, earlier this morning, a natural tree. So, And, and at our place, we have a fake uh, Martha Stewart tree and a real tree, simply because it's the only way to keep our 20-year marriage intact. That's the way it's been for 21 years. Are you a real tree person, a fake tree person? Have you got it? Is it up? Did you have trouble getting it?
10: Uh, okay, so uh, fake tree more recently. We used to do the real tree once upon a time. First year we were married, we waited too long and got this thing that was right out of the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I mean, it was at Fortino's on like, right. four days before Christmas, and I don't know if there was a pine needle left on it. I mean, it, it was nothing more than a fire hazard, but we had to put something up. Uh, we've been fake lately, but, you know, and yes, it's been up for a long time already. Um, you know, it's just somehow in my in my advanced years, it's become so much easier to go down to the basement and bring up the box than to trundle off into the woods like Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation and, uh, and and try and find the perfect tree to bring home, and a lot cheaper.
0: I don't know. I, I, I think uh, going down to the basement and grabbing that thing out of the box is uh, more work than going to the local uh, nursery <laughs> and saying, I'd like that one, please. And by the way, have you priced uh, fake trees now. They're like unbelievably yeah, they expensive. Are. They are.
10: They are. We were in a store the other day and there was one that was okay. You know, like we walked by and I was like, that's okay. And I think it was $800.
0: Like, what is that? Like, I, you know, I saw one for a thousand the other day and I'm thinking like, my goodness, that's 10 years of a $100 tree. Like, that is uh, unbelievable. Like, I,
10: you know. I, yeah. Scott, I saw a meme online yesterday that I thought was one of the most brilliant things ever. It was a giant pile of pine needles and the meme was just went to Ikea and bought my IKEA Christmas tree. This is gonna be a long night.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. For a thousand bucks, man, it should come with a dog that can lift its leg on it. That's what I'm thinking.
10: Yeah, All right. That's uh, the, thing. the
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is my thing, Scott. <laughs> uh, so the reason we started talking about, uh, Diane's, uh, Diana Week's hubby and, and such, uh, it, uh we started talking of, oh, it was the uh, Blink 182 because she picked the song today. Yes. Talking yep. about how he used to be have a punk band and all that sort of stuff. And then started sending pictures around of him with blonde hair that was spiked. He's a little younger than what we were, Uh, we are, uh, Scott. So I'm asking and was asking all of those people, what was the weirdest thing, the weirdest hairdo, the weirdest way you ever used to wear your hair? And I know you're follically challenged like I am at this point, but there must have been a time when you did something pretty outlandish or let it go one way that it shouldn't have.
10: Yeah, I I like to think of it not as follically challenged, but just an extended forehead. Um, Yes,
0: more brain.
10: So uh, I'm not sure if this is the weirdest thing, but I can tell you that my grad picture in grade 13 or grade 12, I can't remember, when my kids saw it with the nice 1980s glasses I was wearing at the time. Uh, for the longest time, I was called Napoleon Dynamite. So, um, <laughs> I'm not sure what that says. Well, I know what that says, and it's not good. Um, so what
0: did the hair look like in the 1980s?
10: Voluminous. <laughs> so it was on fire?
9: <laughs> no, Sorry.
10: thick and lush, and uh, I... I truly, if, if you had asked me in high school if I would be bald, there is no chance. That hair yeah. was just there in droves. Like, you couldn't run your hand through my hair. And then maybe I ran my hand through my hair too often, and that's what happened. I don't know. But it, uh, there was no way that it was ever going to be gone. And then it was gone. <laughs> so did you
0: lose it because uh, because mine started to go in my late 20s yep. about 27 and then by 30 it was pretty much done what it was going to do but i know some people some guys it's like you know 20 all of a sudden boom they've lost it and they lose a lot of it mine sort of you know it, it was drawn drawn out over several times in the shower and watching it go down it was it was very drawn out painful experience for me or was it was it for you quicker
10: uh, no, I, I I managed to get through the wedding at 25 with a head of hair, but it was only a couple three years after that uh, I waved the white flag and cut, you know, sort of ground it down to the to the wood because there was yeah. not much happening there, and uh, just kind of gave up and. Since then, you know what I've discovered, Scott. It is really convenient to wake up in the morning, have a shower, and uh, do your hair with a washcloth to dry it off, and away you go. There's no. way a boy,
0: working. I am. You know, I've had people say that to me because I was in radio. You want the DJ hair? We can get you some company. As long as you do their spots, they'll give you free hair. I was like, who the <laughs> hell wants free hair? I'm not the same person I was when I was twenty. Why well, would I don't want to look like him, but I hear you. Uh, take her down to the wood, man. More face to wash, but other than that, way more efficient. Exactly. with Here you comes
10: 100%. Belt, Who's on the show tonight? Uh, we are talking about Grey Cup as it turns out, and we're talking about also uh, we're talking about this great place. If if you like board games, there's a new place opening in Hamilton where you can play every, like it's an amazing idea of cool. going out for a night out and I think they have eight hundred Board games in this place, and it's like it's a cafe. I think we're talking to the people that just opened this, and a bunch of other stuff. Lots coming up.
0: Alright, Scott Radley on after the 6 o'clock news, and you can read them in your Hamilton Spectator. Oh, Will, what did you want to say quick?
3: I just wanted to come on. Uh, Radley uh, had requested we hear from the Boxheads. I wasn't able to pull them up on time, so that was Young Cardinal by Alexis on Fire, but I am going to try to get the burned CDs of the Boxhead albums that Diana has told me about. So, Radley, oh just wait for it.
10: <laughs> yeah, awesome. Get the beeper ready, because I think
2: they're missing. Yeah, right.
0: words yeah. are there you have to hear. <laughs> exactly. Listen at your own peril, man. Who knows? And, and you know what? Diane, Diana might be the one most affected by all of this, not us.
2: Yeah, get the bleep button ready. It's, uh, <laughs> it's screaming music.
0: All right. I can't wait. You you get that stuff. You unload it. All right. This will spawn a reunion tour. I do believe that. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live, weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. All right. Uh, Scott is coming up next. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. Much appreciated. Thanks to Will and Ted and Diana for contributing. And as always, we leave it to you for the last word. In this case,
7: it's Bruce on the Olympics. Hey, Scott, I'm all for the Olympics uh, athletes going over to China. I'm just wondering what type of security we are sending over with them.
0: Good question.